Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 254. Award season is now upon us, which means Talking Oscars is back to cover all things Oscars and awards related for this 2019-2020 awards season. Joining me now is film critic, movie analyst, and my fellow co-host for Talking Oscars, Mr. Shane Bassett. Shane, I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. I say it every year, and we've been doing this for a while, Matt, but it's an absolute pleasure to be welcomed back onto your uh, prodigious podcast that is going so strong, and here we are again, talking our favourite subject, the Oscars. And uh, this is going to be a really interesting Oscar season, I think. There's many elements in the air, and we're going to touch on them today. Um, So, the 92nd Oscars... This will be on the. It's going to be on February 9, 2020, Dolby Theatre in Los Angeles, California. Um, that date's really interesting. February 9 is actually the earliest date in over a decade. Usually they have the ceremony later in the month of February. They're going to push it forward a bit. Um, and I think what's really interesting about that is in something we're going to talk about today that I think, like last year, a lot of films. Are being re- that are released earlier in a cinema year are getting that Oscar push and usually that doesn't work that way usually Oscar season October, November, December that's when your Oscar films come out but lately it's been a bit of a trend where films released in April, May, June they're getting some some a considerable push um, in, in during Oscar, uh, Oscar season so we're going to talk about some of those today um, but before we do that I want to talk to you about um, a, a bit of news in regards to Oscars hosts and l- last awards season of course we didn't have a, a host at the Oscars it was a big controversy um, and I shared an article with you from a few days back um, yes. that pretty much said that the Academy Awards and the, the ABC broadcast team were actually quite happy with the flow of the show and they're probably not going to have and Oscars hosts again uh, next year. Um, now, your reaction to that uh, in, in our message was was very clear, and I want you to just talk about it now. So, Oscars hosts, um, do you think they're going to have one? And if not, is it a good or a bad idea? Well, I won't swear, but my reaction was, you've got to be kidding, and then in capital letters, unbelievable, mm. because... I thought we were done with that. I thought last year there was a reason because of the Kevin uh, Hart debacle and what happened there. And the funny thing is, the Emmys weren't that long ago. And the Emmys went without a host. And that was something I, I did not realise until closer to the ceremony itself. They had like a an, an announcer sitting in a booth that would do funny jokes every now and then in between uh, award, you know, awards nominations or, or presentations. But it didn't seem to work because a lot of the time the, the audience actually couldn't even hear it and, and you couldn't hear it at home either. So the fact that you sent me that article that they were considering no host again, I mean, did it work that well? It, it worked okay at this year's ceremony, but did it work that well that we're not going to have another host? I, I, I find that ludicrous, considering the history of the Oscars and hosts in general. It's interesting that you ask, did it work that well? I mean, depends on what metric we want to compare it to, I guess. I mean, <laughs> That's true. ratings-wise, it, it did. ratings went up a little bit, and I think some of that had to do with curiosity more than anything else. I think this is the first time in a long time they didn't have a host, like a traditional... You know, one or two people up there actually emceeing uh, the event, 
And um, you mean, I think to me that the academy really got burnt um, this year in regards to the whole process of finding the host and just the reaction towards it. And I think I think they're going to approach it this year. If they are going to go with a host, their vetting is going to be much, much more deeper, much more precise than it was previous years. They're going to, they're going to be looking through. I could just imagine now, actually, a lot of potential candidates maybe wiping their social media history so nothing pops up in case, in case of potential announcements. It could be a, a, the fact, though, Shane, that maybe people don't want to take on the job. I mean, if it's come down to a past history in regards to material. If you're a comedian, for example, if you've been you know, a comedian for quite a while, maybe 10, 20 years, and you know, humor back then is different than it is now, and just say a bit came up that might be deemed offensive now, and that's going to be used as a weapon against you, I think people yeah. might want to knock it back. Yeah, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter or the or Variety, uh, don't quote me, but one of those uh, trade papers that we read often uh, I know that they had an article about why people don't want to host anymore. Yeah. And they, they made good points about that. You know, it's one, their history, because, you know, that sent alarm bells with the Kevin Hart thing. You know, you're right. I'm not, you know, I didn't really think of that, but you're right. People, celebrities would be checking their history now, you know, their online history for that very reason and other things, you know, who knows. And then you've got the entertainment side of it. It, it does kind of work where they just have certain presenters come out and do their thing. But, mm. again, it doesn't – it can be a monotonous. But if you've got that one person who is the backbone of it all, or, you know, a, a Jimmy Kimmel or, you know, whoever it might be, uh, that, that for me, maybe because I'm a traditionalist, works better than a non-host thing. So I really hope that it's just something that they've brought up, but they're not really considering – zero host again this year or next year and i think a host also brings an amount of personality to the show because you and i we can talk about what happened at the oscars this past oscar ceremony um in in 2019 and we can talk about who won and the campaigns and such can we really remember a bit can we really remember (laughs) a a moment on stage that happened i mean i think the only thing i can really think of as a moment on stage moment is the uh duet between lady gaga and bradley cooper that was a really great thing it was a beautiful thing but that that thing that thing would happen anyway with or without a host i mean that's just part of the 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 ceremony you know the original song contenders go up there and they, they sing i mean but some with some ceremonies some years the personality of the MC really shines through. I mean, if you're talking Golden Globes, you talk about the Ricky Gervais years. And if you're talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, the Oscars, you talk about Billy Crystal and Steve Martin and all the people who did all that stuff there. I mean... Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg. Fantastic. Yeah. And even the ones that bombed, you know, you can talk about um, the... Um, uh, David, the, Letterman. David Letterman, yeah. um, the Anne Hathaway, James Franco uh, uh, debacle as well. Even the, the MCs, even the hosts that didn't do a good job, they left a mark on it. Um, and I, I think that's something that I would like to see. I just want to, I just want to have a show where someone just brings a little bit of personality in between, in between the categories. Um, but, you know, one thing that can be said about having no host, it did seem to go a little quicker uh, than last time. And I think uh, for some that's people... That's the they'd whole like, idea. Yeah, for some people they like that, but for you and I, 
who really kind of revel in the, uh, the 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 night itself, and we we talk about this stuff, and it leads up to it. And I know you yourself, you are you host the Oscar party. You know you want to have that three four hours that you can just you know uh, get into stuff. So we're going to be on top of it um, every you know every couple of weeks when we start talking about the this, um, the Oscars and the, the award season. We're going to be on top of this, and we're gonna we're gonna maybe we might even dedicate a uh, like a, maybe half a show to potent who we think should be potential hosts. That could be an idea right, that we can get into. Oh, I'd like I'd like to do that because there are potentials, and then we can throw around some ideas. And you know, there are there are serious actors that also can do comedy that could work. You know, and then you've got your your performers, your singers and dancers like Hugh Jackman, yep. as we mentioned. And yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I hope we do do a part, at least partial of an episode where we discuss that because there are many out there that you could consider that would do a good job and. You know, you brought up Letterman. I still go back and check out some of his stuff. It's excruciating bad, but it's still funny in the same in the same sense. That's that's right. It's like yeah, like those sometimes those car crashes have have their own kind of uh, humor to them. Okay, so what we're going to dedicate this episode to now, we're going to this is something we did last course of season, and I really enjoyed it. So I want to do the same now. So we're going to talk about the films that have been released this year, the films that we've seen that we think have a potential to make a mark um, this upcoming Oscar, um, this upcoming awards season. Now, I mentioned before in regards to the date of the Oscars of February 9, and I talked about how a lot of films are releasing early. And the films that we're going to talk about, I think, the, like I know from my list, um, a lot of them came out like March, June, July, around, around that time. Um, only one film is like a, a recent, uh, recent release. Um, so... I think that is going to be a new trend. I think we've seen uh, Oscar campaigns uh, re-releasing movies back in theaters to remind people um, about about the films. And a lot of things, a lot of voters these days watch screeners, so they're going to get a lot of screeners for movies released back in June and July, for example. So let's talk about what some of those potential films can be. So how about yourself, Shane? How about you go first and tell me about what your potential nominee could possibly be? All right, I'm going to start off with one from left field, and it's a movie that I really enjoyed. Uh, but it was at the Sydney Film Festival when I saw The Souvenir. Okay. Um, did you catch The Souvenir? I did not, no. Please tell us, tell us more. Uh, Tilda Swinton's daughter is in it, and it's, it's, it's a basic story of a film student in the 80s who becomes kind of linked and romantically involved with this mysterious dude this guy that you never really know whether he's coming or going whether he's honest or whether he's evil and what intentions he has but it's a character study and it's got some retro uh edge to it which i really liked but it was a very solid movie that the last half an hour the last 30 minutes stanza is not what you expect and uh I liked it, and it got a bit of a standing ovation, and only a short one, but they really enjoyed it at the Sydney Film Festival, and, and I know film festival crowds are very different to uh, a normal cinema crowd when they get released in general theatres, but yeah, the, I just thought I'd throw that one in as a dark horse, because there has been people talking about it, it's been released in the UK already, uh, so we'll see. The Souvenir, it's something that, it's an art house film, but really well acted directed and uh something a little bit different 
I'm looking here, it's a British film, perhaps potentials for BAFTAs as well? Yeah, well, it's got BAFTAs written all over it. Um, very, Tilda's into in it, but uh, she's not the main the main actress here. It's her daughter, whose name is Tosin Kong. Okay, excellent. Yeah, great film. Not going to say too much about it, but the souvenir, if it, our listeners out there, if you come across it, trust me, you'll enjoy it, and it will take you somewhere at the end that will cause some discussion. Okay, very interesting. I'm going to put that on my list of films that definitely watch um, coming up now. Um, well, I hope it gets a release because it, um, yeah, unless you know of a date, I don't, not too sure if it's got an Australian release. I haven't heard yet, no, but if it's just only been released in the UK, hopefully it should be out here soon as yeah. well. Um, if we're going to stick with Sydney Film Festival, I'm going to talk about the Sydney Film Festival uh, winner, um, and that's Parasite. Um, so this film is still stands as my favourite film of the year so far. Um, Boon Jong-ho is the director. He's a South Korean director. He's been around for a while. He's got a lot of great films to his name, such oh, yeah. as Mother and The Host and Snowpiercer. Um, so he has not been nominated previously um, in any facet, um, especially not as director. He did win the Palme d'Or for this movie, Parasite, when it played at Cannes Film Festival. And I think that he has a real, this film has a real solid chance. Well, number one, I think foreign film, it's definitely a lock for a nomination in, in that category. Um, but I think it has a, a really solid chance to kind of cross over, um, kind of like what Roma did um, uh, uh, last year. Um, uh, sorry, this year, earlier. Uh, and I think also he has the potential to get a directing a nomination as well. And the kind of um, inspiration I, I, I get from to kind of like give some credence to my opinion here is I look at a director like Guillermo del Toro. Um, he, he was a director that's been around for a long time. He's not American-born, Mexican director, of course. Um, and his films such as Pan's Labyrinth, um, Shape of Water, he was, that was a big winner that year as well. I think he is a kind of filmmaker that you can definitely see uh, Bong Joon-ho um, kind of replicate that kind of same kind of um, uh, marketing campaign in regards to Oscar nominations for Parasite. And um, I don't know if you've seen Parasite, but I absolutely love it. Um, critics, critic-wise, still has 100% standing on Rotten Tomatoes. It just hit the US. People in the US love it as well. And I think he's really making a mark now. And uh, the US release is really interesting. It's come out in all other territories way before the US one has. So I really do think that it's going to get a real major push behind it. And I can definitely see um, uh, Best Picture. I can see Best Director. And I can potentially even see Screenplay. And I'm not exactly sure how foreign films go with Screenplay nominations. Um, but I think the themes in the movie really do resonate strongly, especially these days. And I can really see a big kind of push behind it. I'm ashamed to say I have yet to see Parasite. I missed it at the Sydney Film Festival. It was playing at the Dendi and the Palace Cinemas in Sydney. Just I'm ashamed that I did not get to see it because you are among many people who have praised it. I've purposely avoided the trailer. And oh, yeah, don't, don't watch anything. Don't watch No, it. I'm, I'm purposely avoiding everything I possibly can. So hopefully by the next time we speak, I'll... If it's released again or I get to see a screener or something, we'll be able to talk about it. But uh, I hear nothing but good things, so I will back you on that and um, trace it up and try and watch it. But I mean, he did Snowpiercer, as you said, and mm -hmm. he did The Host, which I really enjoyed. Uh, Okja as yeah. well, which 
I was a little bit sitting on the fence with, but you know, overall, I know how solid uh, filmmaker Boone is. Now, do you think it'll get nominated for a Best Picture or just Best Foreign Film? I think it's going to do both. I think it's going to right now. Both. Okay. I think it's going to get. I, I definitely think, and not only that, like even if this this year um, the Oscars is resorted back to the five classic five picture nominee. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, it's that good, is it? I think it's that good. I think, and I think it has potential as well to even win. Um, not saying it will, um, but I think the film is that strong, and I think its themes really do resonate um, across all um, all cultures, especially um, in the states right now. Its yeah. push behind it is really strong, and I can see this movie um, when it comes to the campaigning, Oscars campaigning. I could see a lot of filmmakers really pushing hard for uh, Boon John ho to, to get a nomination. I could see um, directors such as Guillermo del Toro. I could see people like Scorsese, for example. Like, even yeah. his competitors. I can see them really kind of backing him to get that nomination because he has been around for a while, and this film really is exceptional. I can't wait for you to watch it because when you do, I think you and I will be talking about it quite a bit um, when it comes to discussing uh, future categories. Um, Shane, what have you got next on your list? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ah, I got that too. I cannot go past that. I mean, I, I had a feeling you might have it on your list too. Uh, you know, I'm not, there's too many superlatives that have already been said, so I, I don't want to go on and on about it. But it's about old school Hollywood. It has a, a galaxy of stars. It is brilliantly executed, written, directed, uh, everything about it I absolutely loved. So I, I can't see it not being in the mix. I agree 100%. I think it's Tarantino's strongest work in uh, since Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I love Pulp Fiction. Um, it's really interesting, uh, nominees-wise, where things are going to fit. <clears throat> You've got uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, uh, two megastar powers on the screen together for the first time. Two, both have delivered really exceptional performances. Um, but there's definitely going to be a split when it comes to lead and supporting um, nominees. Yeah, exactly. So I can hunt, I can definitely see Leo going for that lead category, uh, which of course means Brad Pitt would go for supporting actor. But what's really interesting about that is that Brad Pitt, during press for um, at Astra, uh, when when asked about um, him being a potential uh, Oscar nominee for his work in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He said yeah. he's gonna not he's will not campaign for it. Um, he's gonna abstain from campaigning. Now, whether that's gonna have such a, an effect that he won't even be nominated, I'm not sure. I think that um, uh, you know once voters see that screener again and see the strength of his work and uh, and uh, you know Sony Pictures I, I think this is going to be the, the, the movie they're going to really push forward um, uh, this um, Oscar season I, I I really do see Brad Pitt being a front runner for the supporting category now of course with every year there's a there's two or three lead performances that go in that supporting category and and uh, I think you know it's, it's just a thing that happens it's, it's just a campaigning strategy more than anything else oh um, yeah yeah but um, I could definitely see DiCaprio. I could see Brad Pitt. I could see Tarantino um, getting uh, director nom. He's only been he's been nominated twice before for directing. For in the last time was for Inglorious Bastards, and I I think writing uh, screenplay um, is in the cards too, which is kind of odd because out of all the films, maybe with the exception of Jackie Brown, which was based on other material, this was his less wordy 
dialogue-driven. Oh, uh, it was, yeah. Um, so it's going to be it's interesting to see whether he gets a nom for writing as well. I think he will because he is Tarantino and the film's so good. Um, but his other wins for um, Inglorious Bastards and uh, was it Inglorious Bastards? No, Pulp Fiction and um, Django Unchained are very dialogue uh, dialogue heavy films as Tarantino films usually are. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see whether he gets. Uh, nominee there. What about Margot Robbie? You reckon she did enough in that movie to maybe get in the supporting actress uh, category? Uh, no, I don't. She was very good, yep. but the, some of her scenes weren't that way inclined that you would, that screams Oscar, if you know what I mean. Like yep. She was great, but no, I, I don't think so. Okay. Um, if anything, Margaret Qualley, uh, the young actress who played the hippie that Brad Pitt picked up Mm-hmm. And took back to the uh, the ranch. She could have a little bit more of a um, opportunity to get a look at than than Margot, in my opinion, because there was some um, pretty good acting in that car, and then afterwards in the ranch, you know. But there was there's so many individual little tiny performances. I liked Margot. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think she'd be in the mix. Very interesting stuff there. Um, I'm gonna. My next pick is going to be a film that came out way early in the year, I think March, and that's Rocket Man. So, I'm basing this a lot of this on the Bohemian Rhapsody uh, triumph from the last from the last Oscars. But will it happen two years in a row? I, I'm I, not sure. There, there is historical uh, evidence to back it up, and the two films I'm going to mention to you is Ray and Walk the Line. So those oh, were films that came out back to back. Walk the Line didn't win Joaquin Phoenix the Oscar, um, even though I think he gave the better performance when compared to Jamie Foxx in Ray. Jamie Foxx is terrific in Ray. A lot yeah, of that, I agree though, with that. A lot of that, though, was that he was... Um, he, even though Jamie Foxx can sing, a lot of his stuff was lip-syncing to uh, Ray Charles' uh, voice uh, when it comes to the song, the song parts especially, which is something that Rami Malek, of course, did in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Here you got Rocket Man... Um, the story about Elton John. And what's really interesting about this movie is that the director, Dexter Fletcher, was actually brought in to uh, do a lot of work on uh, Bohemian Rhapsody after um, Brian Singer was fired from the job. So this is kind of like... We, but the interesting thing about Rocketman is that visually, in the way they approached the, the music biopic, was so very different. To what Bohemian Rhapsody did. Bohemian Rhapsody was very much by the numbers, started a band, ended the band, you know, ups and downs, what have you. Where there's a fantastical element in Rocket Man, which worked really well, and I think um, Dexter Fletcher um, has to get a lot of kudos for that because that kind of thing that 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 Rocket Man did, where it took its music scenes and it didn't just do a straightforward Elton John at a piano doing a concert thing. There was a lot of elements going on here a lot of fantastical kind of stuff and and i think it just he pulled it off quite well and then you have taron edgerton and he is just such a talented uh actor he can sing oh yeah he 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 actually well he's been in genre films as well action movies as well and what he did with the Orton john performance was just fantastic because that was his voice that's him singing those songs that's him on the soundtrack um and Coupled with Elton John's story, the drug use, uh, the sex addiction, all of that stuff that came with it, um, I think that 
there is definitely the elements there for Taron Egerton especially to get not a nomination for in the act, best actor category. Whether the film coming out really like I'm, we're talking really early here. I think I think it was March that the film came out. I could be wrong. Um, whether that goes against it, I'm not sure. But I think Paramount will be amiss if they didn't at least try to get Taron on the board because his performance is that strong. Yeah, it was something like that. It was March, April. It was very early in the year, and uh, it was a huge hit. Um, and obviously people compared it to Bohemian, but it is, like you said, a totally different film. It, it doesn't cover the same structure. It, it shows like a, a life story, a biography, but it's done in a in a different way. Yep. You don't have that, have that stage show at the end, and you have more fantasy sequences and dream sequences and musical performances that way. Uh, you're right with Taron. Uh, I guess we'll talk about him a little bit more when it comes to when we discuss actors. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely someone who should be considered because, to me, he was he was pretty amazing. Like, he, he was better than what Remy Malik was, uh, if, if, if I had to compare the two. But, um, you know, they're different movies, so I really shouldn't be doing that. And Dexter Fletcher, yeah, he, he uh, fixed up bohemian rhapsody and did what he had to do uh, at the call of arms when things went down with brian singer but this was his movie and you know he worked with elton john up front but then elton left him alone to do it you know and i just think the combination of taron and dexter and elton were a great trio and it was a good film and yeah i agree totally with what you said i i I'm just always a bit worried about movies that get released earlier in the year that even though people will still talk about them they just get disregarded very true uh what's next on your list shane the farewell okay now it's it's not quite the the uh, joy luck club <laughs> which was an amazing film and, and of course crazy rich asians after that, uh, more recently, um, this one is about a, another Chinese family and, and a grandmother matriarch who um, has been an, announced that she's going to pass away, but the family don't want to tell her. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but how they know. get around... Have you seen it? I haven't, no. Oh, how they get around not telling her, and then you've got Aquafina, who is the one who's conflicted. She's the granddaughter who's conflicted and wants to tell her grandmother that she's going to pass away, but it's just a, a really lovely, wonderful story. It's PG rated, but it is just something that I think anyone who has family, either issues, good or bad, should watch it. Uh, it really does resonate. And the acting in it, I'm not, I think the grandmother, I'm not sure of her name. She hasn't been in a film before. This was her first role, but Aquafina, who is in crazy rich Asians and, and Ocean's Nine, she's a she's more of a comedian, but in this, it's a serious role. And uh, her combined with the the plot, the storyline, and the beautiful Joy Luck Club of it all uh, is what I'll compare it to. Is worth I think Academy will take notice of it. Just like yourself with Parasite, The Farewell is just a movie that just kind of passed me by. It was a film I numerous times tried to go watch it, just couldn't, didn't happen. I, since the film came out kind of early, I know I'm going to get a chance to catch up, up, up on it. I'm pretty sure it's coming out soon um, in uh, Blu-ray and such here in Australia, so I will definitely watch it. And um, just, but I, was, I have been keeping a track on it, just like, as you know, the, the Oscar award season's uh, 
uh, you know, guy that I am. And um, Aquafina's name keeps coming up quite a bit in regards to that lead uh, actress uh, category. Um, the, uh, She's solid, man. She's yep. really good. And um, written and directed by Lulu Wang. Um, I imagine there could be possibly. You reckon there could be possibilities of maybe an original screenplay as well? Um, I, I would say it could be talked about. I'm not. I'm not sure. It, it's way too early for me to predict it. But yeah, I, I think the screenplay is what is one of its highlights, like one of its solid points. Um, it, it's a beautiful story, but it's never condescending. And it also, because it's a Chinese family, it doesn't matter. It, it relates to whatever nationality you are. You just sort of need to see it. But you're right. I think a screenplay could be a possibility, yeah. Okay. I'm going to make a pick for a film, a, a recent release. I mean, very recent. It came out last week, and that's Joker. Oh, I um, knew you were going to... I was just about to jump in and say Joker, but I let you say it first. Um, I, I love this movie. It's a very contentious uh, film, yeah. which kind of surprises me because, not to get off on, on a rant here, um, it kind of bums me out that so many film critics are kind of lambasting the film to the point where some are even saying that it's problematic in regards to its violence because, you know, as, as I like to think that as film critics, we're kind of like guardians of the gate in regards to... You know, once upon a time, there were films that came out that a lot of uh, yep. people wanted to censor, whether it's politicians or other type of authority bodies, and the film critics were the champions for those. So, but I'm just going to leave that aside. I'm going to make that rant for another day. I just want to talk about the potential in regards to nominees. I think, top, right off the list, I think Joaquin Phoenix has really strong potential uh, to not only be nominated, perhaps even to, to win. He's a three-time nominee. Hasn't won before. He has won a Golden Globe for Walk the Line. And I think what he does with the Joker character in this movie um, is just devastatingly good. Um, he does that thing that a lot of um, Oscar voters really like their lead actors to do, transform himself physically. He turns into this kind of like wiry, wiry kind of jangle of, of, of bone and muscle and nerves. And it really kind of does something to him physically um, which is manifest um, several times uh, throughout the movie. Um, and then also you have the character's uh, fragile mental state as well, which I think he handled beautifully as well. Um, oh, yeah. And I think and I think it might be uh, controversial to say, um, but I think it's the best portrayal of a Joker, Joker character I've seen yet on a big screen. And I love the Jack Nicholson version, I love the Heath Ledger version, but there's the thing that what's with this film is that there's, there's a grounding to it, that the world building that the, this movie has, that kind of evoking of that early 1980s, late 1970s New York City, that grimy kind of uh, really... Taxi driver. Taxi driver, king of New York, um, unpredictable... Wild, main streets. Yeah, main streets. You know, any moment someone could come out and like kill you kind of... New York City that a lot of people, you know, grew up watching uh, on, on the big on the big screen. It kind of it evokes that world and does so really well. And I think the themes in the film are really strong. I love Todd Phillips' uh, direction in the movie. I don't think, however, that it's strong enough to get him an Oscar uh, nomination. No, I don't think so. Um, but maybe. A screenplay? I'm not sure. I mean, we have seen in the past R-rated um, 
comic book movies like Logan, for example, get an Oscar nominee nomination yes. for adapted screenplay. Um, so maybe that could be potential, but I definitely think um, in regards to production design, it could be something there. Um, and but performance-wise for Joaquin Phoenix, I think there's a strong possibility he could get nominated number one for number four, and perhaps even his first win. Uh, Shane, what do you think? Um, have you seen Joker? And what would you think of my uh, predictions in regards to that film? I saw it uh, on a preview. I don't know. I think you were there on the same night. Right. When okay. we, when, yep. And then I saw it when it was released on that Thursday. Uh, so I've seen it twice now. And before I say my, my uh, thoughts, what did you think of uh, Jared Leto as Joker? I wasn't a fan Okay. Not to say that he didn't. Yeah, I liked it. Not to say that he didn't give a spirited performance in it. I just think that the, the direction that they were going with that Joker character is kind of like a pimp kind of character yeah, with the was. tattoos and all that thing and, and all that other stuff. I I think out of all the ones I've seen um, on the big screen, it's definitely the weakest. Mm. Um, and actually, it's funny you said that because supposedly reports have come out that said that he was really upset. Um, that this movie went ahead because he, if, he had a, I'm not sure if he imagined it or whether there has been some type of uh, deal struck that any type of potential reprisal of the character would be for him and him alone. Clearly, this movie, for people who haven't seen it, it's very much a separate kind of world thing. It isn't a shared universe thing whatsoever with this joke. No. And I really do hope... Um, that they don't go down that road. I hope they'd leave it alone as a one-off because it should be treated as that. Um, but, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the Jared Leto one, but that's, again, not to say that he didn't put, like, a really great kind of effort in, in, into it. I just think that the choices made creatively um, of for how Joker was reprised in that movie just didn't really do anything for me. Yeah, no, I was interested in what you thought because, I mean, I wasn't a Suicide Squad fan, but I thought Jared's uh, performance was one of the highlights in a movie that I really didn't care much for. And yeah. and that makes sense about reprising it or, because, you know, whenever an actor um, signs on to do one of these big budget, uh, you know, superhero style films, whether it be Marvel or DC, they're, it's in their contract. Yeah. Like, they, they sign in for that first movie, but then if it goes over a certain amount of money or, or things happen, they're, they're there for the sequels. Whether the uh, producers use them or not, that's up to them, but they're still obligated to be in a sequel if the producers want them. And, and you're right, Joker is a standalone film, although without giving away spoilers, they do refer to some things towards the end there. Yeah. Uh, that I was, that's, that was my only downfall of the of the movie uh there's certain things that they referred to and then little incidences and scenes that happened there's only two of them but um yeah that that was my only downfall and if you remember this probably this time last year i was mentioning joaquin in mary magdalene when he played jesus and don't worry he won't go far on foot which was another movie i saw at the previous sydney film festival he's he's just so in his whole career he's in in the depth of the character and Joker is just unbelievable. And I said this in all my radio reviews and and newspaper reviews that within the first 15 minutes of when he comes on screen as uh, Arthur Fleck in Joker, you knew he was going to be nominated. 
that 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 cackle, the way he was walking, the way he was holding himself, you knew that he was just he has to get nominated for this. Whether he wins or not, I don't know. But I've got to agree that I it's on my list as well. Like it's a really really solid film, and there's so many layers to it. Uh, I liked it, but it's hard to recommend to people because it is yeah. so depressing. Yeah, and I think that's a uh, that is a really good point as well because I think you and I. I think in regards to the, the tone of the film and the look of it, we've grown up watching movies where clearly it evokes that kind of stuff. Exactly. And so we're kind of we, we're used to that thing. Other people, just say maybe, I don't know, uh, the 21-year-old who watched Avengers Endgame and really liked that movie yeah. might not so much get into the kind of the wavelength of it. Um, but for myself... I think it's one of the strongest um, comic book movies I've seen in quite some while because, like I said, it's not like a shared universe thing. It does have a really grounding in the reality and yep. just the things that it talks about and the way that it approaches it and the overall impact it has. It was To me, it was a very visceral kind of experience. I was really sucked into this world and it made me feel uncomfortable, in, in, but in comf- uncomfortable in a good way. You can watch films and feel uncomfortable and leave it thinking that it was an experience and not a, in a, a not a particularly horrific one, even though sometimes horror films can do that as well, but one that can have you think a little bit and leave an impression on you. And that film definitely uh, did that with me, and hopefully it will do the same with um, Oscar voters. Um, what's next on your list, Shane? Uh, one more for me, and that is Toy Story 4. Hmm, that's on my list too. <laughs> it has to be. Come on, Matt. I mean... It came out earlier in the year. It is just it. I, w- I I don't think we've already spoken about it. Maybe we have, but I didn't have a lot of expectations for it because you know, Toy Story three was just like the perfect ending. And and did we need another one? Is it another case of um, you know, milking the box office for the old you know retro characters, bring them back again? But honestly, Toy Story four is better than Toy Story three. Yeah. I, loved it so much and it has to be a contender it literally just has to be uh it, it was flawless it was like my perfect movie of the year so far I'm pretty, we did talk about before we, um when we did our um half half yearly uh, oh, best course. and worst so far and um when we when we talked about it i also said that you know i liked it better than number three as well and that the uh oh i too i i too wasn't sure how exactly how they're going to approach it because three had that perfect bookend and you know everyone loves a trilogy etc um but i also said that when it came to animated films released this year and we're going to go way back to a release that came back like came out in january february um that to me my favorite animated film i've seen so far and probably stayed there is the latest how to train your dragon movie yeah um and i think like just like toy story i think that's that's this is going to be a battle between those two movies and I personally would love to see How to Train Your Dragon get that Oscar um, because toys, Pixar and, and especially the Toy Story films, they clean house every, every single time that award uh, category comes up. Um, so this year, I would like to, uh, sorry, or next year, sorry, um, even though I have so much affection for Toy Story 4 and believe it to be one of the better, if not one of the best films in that franchise to me um, how to train your dragon part three was just such a fantastic movie Um, oh yeah and that also had that emotional wallop to it as well great animated design um great voice work as well um so i think 
those two films are definitely going to go one-on-one. -on -one. No doubt there's going to be a third nominee as well. Probably would be some type of obscure kind of maybe hand-drawn animation. I noticed lately that happens quite a bit now. Um, there's films that in the animated category that aren't you know made for the uh, multiplexes they're like small little art house films are getting there or yeah. a japanese anime correct that as well um so there'll probably be potential for those ones but for me it's going to be that is going to be the battle between them two do you think though that i know toy story i'm pretty sure toy story 3 did get a breakthrough into the best picture uh, nominee do you think any of these animated yeah. films has the potential to do that uh, this year Oh, look, Toy Story 4 could. I mean, I agree with you that How to Train Your Dragon, it was three, wasn't it? It was the third one. Yes. Yeah, of the of the series. I, I loved it too. But, I mean, I think a little bit less of it than you do. But I, I hear where you're coming from. They're both uh, equal, you know, pretty much equal when it comes to quality and aspirations of just people who watch these movies, young and old, who either get into the characters themselves or look at the animation, you know, like there's so many different elements that you can enjoy this state of the art animation renaissance that we're going through at the moment. But as much as you say about these little uh, animated ones that sometimes sneak through and get a nomination, let's not forget frozen too. Mm -hmm. That is out in November, mate. Yeah. That, if it's anything like the trailers suggest, which it looks like they're going to be darker. It looks really good, but they're not giving away too much. And you know how the, the, the first one sprung on everyone and it surprised everyone and it just became a phenomenon. It ran in the cinemas literally for about 12 months. They were playing like the sing-along version 12 months later. So we'll see. Uh, we'll talk about it more as we do more of these Oscar podcasts, but uh, let's not forget Frozen 2. That, you know, really interesting you brought it up. I, I kind of forgot about that film. Um, <laughs> How can you? It's, 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 I'm seeing it everywhere at the it, moment. It's a, it's a good point. Like, I got, like, uh, boys as well around the, the age range where they love that kind of film. So I don't know why I forgot about that film. I just did. But, yeah, that's really interesting to see whether that is going to also... Um, it, and it probably will make an impact as well. So I think the animated film category is going to have some competition uh, come next Oscar season. My last pick is going to be uh, for Avengers Endgame. And this is going to be really interesting for me because I don't think this film will be nominated for the film that it is, but rather what it represents, which is it's the culmination of this, what, 10, 11 year journey um, in the cinemas. And I'm going to come back to that word soon, cinema, in regards to this movie as well. Um, and I think the campaign behind this that Disney are going to put together is going to be big. I think they're going to push it really hard. Um, they've, it is the highest grossing film of all time, so they've got the money there to do it with. <laughs> so they're definitely going to is have it bigger a, than Oh, it's bigger than Titanic, isn't it's it? Big, it That's beat, right. It'd be Avatar, it'd be Titanic. The yep. way, the yep. methods that they did it, it's quite shrewd. A lot of re-releasing, a lot of promises 3D. Of, uh, of 3D, a lot of promises of additional footage. Uh, which turned out to be nothing, really. I mean, maybe a few minutes here, a few minutes there, but nothing of real significance. And, um, and, and also, I think that um, when we look to last... Um, was, it, was it last year or the year before when Black Panther was nominated? I'm just trying to think now. I think it was last Last Oscar season. Yeah. Yeah. So if Disney can get Black Panther into the mix... 
um, and, and into best picture consideration. I think that they definitely have the, you know, the resources, they definitely have the money to do the same with Avengers <laughs> Endgame. Um, and like I said, I think it's because of not look i like the film myself i thought it was terrific uh, terrific um comic book superhero filmmaking um but just the fact that it wraps things up it's a culmination of this whole kind of cinematic universe i i can foresee that maybe that's going to be the the angle that the uh the campaign's going to take this is the culmination of a film universe that has put billions of dollars into the coffers of the movie industry. Um, and whether that works or not, I'm not sure. There could be backlash because Disney owns everything now that maybe people are going to go, you know what, screw that. You guys have got the box office receipts. You're not going to get the nominations as well. And they might not nominate that for it. Um, but uh, I like, um, you know, I would like to see whether they would put some put forward someone like, say, Robert Downey Jr. Um, for his portrayal of Tony Stark in Iron Man up for consideration. Now, just like Brad Pitt, he's recently come out. He was on the um, Howard Stern show, and he said that there has been rumblings in Disney about pushing him for, like, a supporting actor nomination, For and he said no, he doesn't want it. Um, and, that's, and that's really interesting. It's really interesting, isn't it, how some of these... Usually people would just love to get, to get nominated and go out there and campaigning. You know, Brad Pitt and Roddy, Robert Downey Jr., they're very content in their life, no doubt, and they've made all the money in the world and don't, can do any project that they want to do, and, not, and nominations clearly uh, don't have any effect on them. Um, and the Academy getting younger as well, that could also have an effect on whether this and more diverse, more diverse as well, and and a lot of um, a lot of the people involved in the movie, like we're talking about, like a 12, 15 strong cast as well, they could get behind it and, and, and do some type of campaigning if they wish to. But what's really interesting is whether that's going to clash with the old guard who might view um, Avengers Endgame as just a silly superhero film and not necessarily cinema. And I just want to get back to that word now because. I'm sure you saw it as well, Martin Scorsese, during an interview, I think it was with GQ, but I could be wrong. Yes. He actually said that, to him, superhero movies, um, and all superhero movies, a lot of people were just saying Marvel films, but for him, superhero movies were not cinema, but they were more kind of theme park rides. Um, and, <laughs> and, yeah. he, and he made a very... His, definition of cinema was very kind of precise of what he said cinema was to him and that was there was films that have a um a spiritual sort of spiritual value driven kind of thing to them and whether i'm i'm a film like black panther and uh guardians of the galaxy etc or avengers endgame has that is really subjective it's really up to the people who watch it you might be making a very good point though um because these movies like i said are a conglomerate. They're filmmaking by committee. While the Russo brothers are the directors on the film, they don't get to do what they want to do without Kevin Feige and Disney telling them what to do, um, which is different to, say, a Martin Scorsese film or a Steven Spielberg movie. They call the shots there, or a Tarantino movie. Um, so that's go- <laughs> yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see whether... Ma, um, Ma, um, Disney really do push um, all chips in the table and try to get nominations for the film because after all, you know, Avatar, Star Wars, 
these films, these big pop culture phenoms, when they came out, they've been nominated for Best Picture. And whether Avengers Endgame will get there as well, I'm not sure, but I think there's a potential that it could. All right. So as as much as I respect you, <laughs> I knew this time was coming. Uh, I I uh, like I haven't even seen Little Women yet. But if mm. Little Women's nominated for a Best Picture nomination and uh, Endgame is right next to it, I know which one's going to win. I I and I just don't think so, man. Like if it is, it's just begun. It's it's it'll be like a system where they push it enough that they just put it in because it's there. It's yep. in front of their faces, like Black Panther. And I know we've had disagreements about that the last time we talked about Oscars. And when it comes to Robert Downey Jr., look, I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. I've been watching him since the eighties. But if he can get nominated, I don't think he's going to get nominated for this. I really don't. And and good for him if he does. But if he can get nominated for Tropic Thunder, he can get nominated for this. So yeah. Anything's possible. Uh, look, mate, I love – I'm not a superhero aficionado by any stretch of the imagination, but I see all the movies more than once, mostly, and I like them a lot. But I'm not invested. And to think it's going to get an Oscar – outside of the usual sound or editing or special effects side of things? No, I don't think so, mate. But I'm glad that you think so because that will give us something to argue about. <laughs> I, I think the possibility could be there. really depends, though, on how many Best Picture nominees they're going to have. Um, in there. If they go to the full 10, for example, I think the potential for it increases quite a bit. I mean, yeah. it, it can get yeah. in that 9, 10 range. And, uh, and get that nomination. Um, but if it's just, say, you know, seven, eight movies, I'm not sure. Like, I'm, I'm putting it out there just because of when it comes to the uh, campaigning itself, a lot of that is money-driven. A lot of that is resources-driven. And the biggest player in the game right now when it comes to all the studios is Disney. Yeah. You know? And so if they can put something together and push the f- film forward, combine that with the younger, younger demographic and much more diverse demographic in the, um, uh, the Academy now. And also, don't forget, last Oscar season, remember how they were kind of pushing that best movies feature as well? And the reason they were doing that, you and I theorized, and a lot of people too, was because they wanted to get people who were watching these summer blockbuster movies to watch the Oscars, I think also there could be incentive there, maybe, from the the, the uh, Academy, if, if, if ratings and if that kind of thing was something that, you know, is st- still important to them, that maybe, you know, a little bit of a, you know, nudge towards getting Avengers Endgame in there could happen. Not saying it's going to. I'm actually less confident in an Endgame getting in there than Black Panther was. Black Panther was in all the way from the beginning. And a lot of the reason why I said that is because it has a narrative to it in regards to, you know, the the, the cultural aspect of the whole thing, which Avengers yeah. Endgame just does not have. I mean, it doesn't have that whatsoever. Um, and I think that, that kind of stuff really helps. Um, but I'm really interested in keeping an eye on what Avengers Endgame does. 
Um, because look, we, I, we, I could be saying the same thing in regards to the new Star Wars film, you know, as well. But I'm not saying that's going to have it either. But you know, I, yeah. I, I just think that these days we've seen a bit of a trend towards genre movies, especially superhero films, getting a certain amount of acceptance from awards bodies that they never had before. And superhero movies aren't going away. And whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not sure. Whether they're cinema or not, we can have different opinions towards that. But whether they are now deemed Oscar-worthy, I think that narrative is getting clearer and clearer as every award season passes. And I think we're going to see definite confirmation in regards to that with this upcoming Oscar season. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. I mean, you're right, and I'm no, I don't want to sound like a, a, a whinger here, but you're right when you say that uh, superhero movies are not going away. But at least this year, at least, and maybe next year, they're, they're more separated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're not every three or four weeks like we've, we've had in the past, you know, there's been so many, that's probably a bit extreme, three or four weeks, but there's been so many. Uh, I think if they space them out, and it's going to take a lot uh, to get a franchise going again that built up that 10 years of Avengers that they did. So we'll see. And I'm glad if they keep the quality going, and I'm Kevin Feige, I've got high hopes with him uh, staying around and, and bringing up new stories. And that's what we want new diverse stories and um with that let's wrap up our podcast today first one in the books for the 2019-2020 awards season and look i i think with the predictions we made today with potential nominees it'll be really interesting to see in like the several months from now when uh, those um, nominees finally are revealed have a look back and just see whether some of these early releases actually uh made the cut um i hope so before we do that, before we leave, uh, Shane, why don't you tell the people where they can find you on social media? Well, if you are uh, anyone interested in reading interviews or seeing uh, red carpet photos and all my movie-related stuff is on Instagram or Twitter, and the handle is at movie underscore analyst, so at movie underscore analyst. And for everyone listening, you can find the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Make sure that you subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. Until next time, Shane, take care and happy movie watching. Yep, you too, mate. Take it easy. Thanks for having me.